You're listening to episode number 16 of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. Today, our special guest is Dr. Bernadette Melnick. Dr. Melnick is, among many things, the first chief wellness officer in the United States. And we're going to have a stimulating conversation about clinician well-being and resilience and how the Ohio State University is weaving wellness into the culture. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We're so grateful you've joined us today. I'm Tracy. And I'm Michelle. We've been interprofessional partners in healthcare for over 30 years. During that time, we've been engaged in healthcare transformation and the development of healthy healing work cultures that result in the best places to give and receive care. We've engaged with healthcare leaders from across North America, and we are tired of seeing time, money, and resources wasted on change efforts that are not sustainable. In this podcast, we explore significant, reoccurring, and competing challenges faced by all healthcare leaders today using a brand new lens called polarity thinking, the missing logic in healthcare. You could say we represent the money ball of healthcare. We're here to expand your current thinking and challenge your reliance on problem-solving tactics. It's the Tracy and Michelle show. We're back. <laughs> We're back. We're going to try a little something different today. So typically, you know, a lot of our episodes, we talk about very specific polarities. But today, we got a special treat for you, and we're going to do something a little bit different. You know, it's one thing to know about the polarities and to know you need to manage them, and we often talk about the action steps. Well, today, we're going to focus on some strategies and really, this relates to a number of different polarities, but it's primarily related to clinician well-being and resilience. And we know that, you know, um, this is uh, top of the order, right, nationally. And we've been very, we're very fortunate to have the National Academies of Medicine take this on. And they have actually developed a, um, an action collaborative for clinician well-being and resilience. And this started like in 2017, I believe. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the goals, so just want to give you a little background here in case you're not familiar with it. And we'll have some uh, links in the, our show notes as well so that you can actually go out and um, see all the fabulous resources and things they've got out there. But really primarily this group has been, you know, convened to do three things. One was to raise the visibility of clinician anxiety, burnout, depression, stressors, suicide, just to make people aware and and really make it transparent what's happening. The other thing is they um, the goal was to improve uh, really that baseline understanding of the challenges around well-being. And then third was to um, advance evidence-based multidisciplinary solutions uh, to improve patient care by caring for the caregiver, right? So Mm -hmm. this is kind of the piece that got dropped a little bit when it was, you know, the triple aim. We weren't paying attention to the burdens that would be placed on the clinicians. And there's a lot of factors involved in this. But but those are their three goals. Now, they have like six different work groups that have been, you know, uh, identified that over the four, next four years, they're working on these evidence-based strategies. And so there's a lot of structure in this. There's a lot happening. There's a lot of information on the website. Um, and, you know, one of the things that they did was they put a call out for other organizations to be network organizations to really take a stand, make a commitment to reverse, you know, burnout. And so Missing Logic 
we got on the bandwagon and we put out our that's right right our statement. You can so go out there and read our commitment we, and our statement. To yeah, this yeah, important so, work. Yep, yeah, and we'll post that too in the show notes mm-hmm. in case you're interested in knowing what we believe about that and how we intend to to support that. Um, but today. Today, we had the privilege to speak with Bernadette Melnick, which most people know her by Bern, and uh, she is just a phenomenal leader, and uh, she is actually a, a member of the Leadership Engagement Work Group as a part of the NAM Action Collaborative, and she um, blessed us with some time today and shared a lot of what she's doing at The Ohio State uh, university to uh, you know promote and really um, enculturate. That's right. right. She gave well-being. us a good global and local perspective she, on what she is doing for this particular um, polarity. So uh, let us tell you a little bit about Bernadette Melnick. She is the vice president for health promotion, the university chief wellness officer, professor and dean of the College of Nursing at The Ohio State University. She's also a professor of pediatric and psychiatry at OSU's College of Medicine. And she's the executive director of the Helene Fold Health Trust National Institute for Evidence-Based Practice. Pretty big things. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I know. She's also the co-editor of five books, over 400 publications. And Dr. Melnick is an elective fellow of the National Academy of Medicine, the American Academy of Nursing, the National Academies of Practice, and the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. And as Tracy mentioned, she is a leader as part of this coalition for the National Academy of Medicine's Action Collaborative on Clinician Wellbeing Resilience, and that's the focus of our talk with her today. And just to say, the first time I met Bern Melnick was in 2006 in Dublin, Ireland, at an evidence-based practice uh, conference, and um, I I was in the front of the room, she was in the back of the room, and you'll notice our passion comes out when it comes to evidence-based practice and have been following her journey with that through the years and then also had the opportunity to collaborate with her and her colleagues at um, the OSU College of Nursing on two national EBP studies of nurse leaders. So it's been really a joy to be connected with her in all these different ways and now around our passion around clinician well-being. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I uh, actually went to the first summit that they held on well-being and resilience last year. I think it was in October. Um, And she's just a phenomenal woman, right? She is, I love her passion. She doesn't let anything get in her way. And she is just a role model on so many levels for so many people, you know. And uh, so I've just really come to appreciate her spirit uh, her wisdom and her tenacity. <laughs> yeah. And she's going to share, you know, how that all has helped uh, the Ohio State University, you know, implement their well-being and resilience programs and and enculturate this. So uh, without further ado, let's get to our interview with Dr. Byrne Melnick. Well, welcome, Byrne. We're so excited to have you on our podcast today. I'm excited to join you. Yes. And you know, you know that Tracy and I are up in Michigan and you're down in Ohio and people probably don't believe this, but we're really friends. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, we can't even say 
M-I-C-H-I-G-A-N in Columbus, Ohio. We call it that school up north or Michigan. Oh, Michigan. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, Vern, my son actually graduated from the Ohio State University with his PhD. So it was quite a challenge for him being a Michigan fan to go to Ohio State for all those years. Yeah, we're we're friendly competitors, <laughs> I'd like to say. There you go. Yeah, Competition you go. and cooperation. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, Bern, we know you just started another very busy fall year. So was there anything that you did this summer that got you ready for your fall this year? Yes, I went to Lake Louise and Banff. And I got some great hiking and meditation, that physical activity in, which was fantastic. Oh, that's great. I, Tracy and I were there a year ago, and it's so beautiful there. Absolutely. Yeah, we were it there in the winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, Again, Bern, thanks so much for being here today. And we've kind of filled our listeners in on the really incredible work that's being done by the um, National Academy of Medicine and the Action Collaborative for Clinician Wellbeing and Resilience. And, you know, it's so needed, and there is just such a wealth of resources available to everybody. And we'll have a link in our show notes so that people can get out there and take a look at everything that's there. There's no way we could even talk about all that today. Um, but one of the outputs from the work of the, um, the collaborative has been the conceptual model, right, which captures those domains that, you know, affect uh, clinician well-being and resilience. And um, one of the things that, you know, we kind of noticed, of course, is there's uh, really two groups of factors, the external and the individual factors. And uh, one of the things that we've noticed is um, we've uh, participated in some of the forums uh, that the um, that NAM has had to kind of explain what's happening with the collaborative and all the different things that are going on, that there tends to be a little bit of an emphasis, more emphasis on the external factors more so than the individual factors. And I just wondered if you could speak to that. Yeah. Well, we all know we are living in an era where about 50% of clinicians, including nurses and physicians, are burnt out. And we also know our population health and well-being outcomes are not good. Some of those lie within the individual, nurses, physicians, other healthcare providers do a great job in taking care of everybody else, but they often don't prioritize their own self-care and engage in healthy lifestyle behaviors that will improve their personal health and well-being. So personal factors are a factor in the whole equation. But what we don't want is to put all of that accountability on clinicians and not consider external 
health system factors that are definitely contributing to burnout, depression, and an increase in suicide. Yeah, it's really, it, it is both, right? It's a both and. And I, I just wondered, have, has there been conversations about really the significance of the interdependence between these different groups of factors that, you know, from our perspective, when we think about polarities, we won't achieve sustainable outcomes if if there isn't an addressing of both, right? If we're not paying attention to both. That, that's absolutely correct. And the other point I want to make is we all are crunched, I think, these days for time, right? Right. Like everybody always says to me, if only I had more time, I get my 30 minutes of physical activity in five days a week. I'd eat healthier. I'd get seven hours of sleep at least a night, and I'd practice stress reduction. But I don't have time. And my response to everybody is, we don't need more time. That's a misconception. We need more energy with the time that we have. And people don't realize that you can gain more energy to be more productive if you are engaging in just a few healthy lifestyle behaviors. Yeah, that makes (laughs) makes a lot of sense. I I say, you know, when you work, when you say you don't have enough time, you're really kind of working from consequence, right? Like it's not, it's, it's not an accurate statement, really. We have the time we need. And to your point, if you have mm-hmm. energy and you prioritize, it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's correct. But again, in nursing, in the other health professions, we often prioritize other people, our patients, than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And Look at the rate of chronic disease we have today. One out of two Americans have a chronic condition, yet 80% of chronic disease can be prevented Mm -hmm. with just a little physical activity every day and eating five fruits and veggies a day, not smoking Uh, If you drink, limit alcohol consumption, and that can markedly wipe out a large part of chronic disease. We've got to get to the point in healthcare where we turn sick care into well care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of well care, We've been so impressed by watching the activities going on at Ohio State University. And recently, a little over a month ago, I think, the National Academy of Medicine put a case study, two, two case studies up, and one was of OSU. And it really highlights the collaboration between the College of Nursing, Medical School, Emergency Medicine Residency, and the Wexner Medical Center. And it's a great exemplar of what can be done to change culture and really promote well-being amongst faculty, students, and clinicians. And we didn't 
you know, we really took away from that um, case study, which is now a discussion paper on NAM's website and also a very interactive document that you can really look at all the work going on there, how important high-level leadership is, strategic vision, and measurement of outcomes. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about these three elements and the case study that has been done on Ohio State University? You bet. Well, we were really excited to be highlighted by the National Academy of Medicine for our work. And one of the first things I want to tell people is a lot of this is culture. Culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's not going to happen overnight. So we have worked very intently on bending the culture here to one of wellness, to support people to achieve their optimal health and well-being. We have a philosophy here that I have had for a long time, and that is in God we trust, but everybody else better bring data to the table. So we consistently implement evidence-based interventions that target top leaders in our organization, middle managers, because if those middle managers don't walk the talk and support their people to engage in healthy behaviors, it's not going to sustain. And then we target the grassroots. So you've got to target each of those layers and at the same time build this wonderful culture of well-being. I think we do something um, that is so instrumental here at Ohio State in this whole movement And that is, we really measure outcomes on a regular basis. So we take a evidence-based quality improvement approach here at Ohio State, and we use that data to loop back and improve what we're doing with our interventions. So again, it's a multi-component strategy that targets different levels within a culture of well-being. And that's why we've had such great outcomes here. But it takes time. I left sunny Arizona eight years ago to come to Columbus, Ohio, to pursue a big dream as the first chief wellness officer at a university in the country and build what we envision to be the healthiest university on the planet. Wow, that's so impressive. And there's so many words of wisdoms of what you just said there. And, you know, all too often we see healthcare organizations implement major things and they never take the time to measure the outcome. So you're a great role model as well, Byrne, with that work. And we we're really struck that you have a president that made um, well-being one of his top three priorities. 
which can make a very significant difference, as you said, that leadership um, setting the bar. What would you say to organizations that maybe don't have that leader at the top that has really embraced that as a strategic goal? I would say you got to look for somebody who is at the leadership level with a twinkle in their eye (laughs) and a fire in their belly for this. It is important to have leadership buy-in from somebody at that top level who can help to promote this culture of well-being. I mean, we are so fortunate to have Michael Drake here. Michael is an ophthalmologist, but he's really invested in health and well-being, and he is a model for that. He rides the Pelotonia here every year, which is a um, bicycle event. Uh, uh, People can ride 25, 50, 100 miles to raise money for cancer because we have a dream to wipe out cancer. Um, So again, when you have top leaders, our provost here is a real wellness advocate. Um, Me being on senior management council for the university here in my role also helps because I interface with leaders all the time. And also as a dean, in addition to my wellness role, I have consistent interaction with other deans. So you're getting that buy-in at that leadership level, which again is really critical. And then you have to have leaders who are willing to invest Mm -hmm. dollars Mm -hmm. into this. And I think one of the important things for the C-suite to recognize is we have systematic reviews. We have a lot of studies that show if you invest a dollar in wellness, you're going to get it back three to four dollars in return. But it's more than just return on investment. It's value of investment as well. And that takes into other factors such as morale, engagement. You know, you you will decrease presenteeism in your organization, absenteeism. You will increase productivity. This is not just a warm and fuzzy anymore. <laughs> we have demonstrated that there is hard ROI and DOI. In fact, at Ohio State, we are in the third year of a negative healthcare spend hmm. for faculty and staff. That's incredible. The average organization is in a four to six percent increase in healthcare spend. So for those C-suite people that listen to this podcast, there is real return 
of investment and value of investment. It's the right thing to do, but it's the wise thing to do as well. Wow. Congratulations. That's phenomenal. Those results. Wow. Um, and that, you know, it, I think you're right on as far as the leadership, right? You know, everything always starts with leadership. You have to have leaders that are not only supportive, but from your, you know, perspective as well, they embrace it and they're role models for it. And I think that's, that's phenomenal, but it also takes right programs and, and strategies. So one of the things that we noticed in the um, case study was that you had some programs that were related to curriculum and some that were non-curriculum. Could you just share a couple with our audience so they get a sense of some of the programs you've implemented? Yeah, you bet. So I want to talk about a grassroots program that we implemented here about six years ago because for those organizations that say we don't have any money to invest in this, this is a low-cost way to diffuse wellness in the DNA of your organization. So we have what's called a Buckeye Wellness Innovator Program. We put a call out for faculty and staff three times a year who want to work with me and my wellness team on building a culture of wellness in their college or in their unit. We have an upcoming orientation happening with another 70 faculty and staff. That will give us a total of about 700 faculty and staff working with our wellness team on building a wellness culture. Now, other places have these people, they call them often wellness champions. I didn't like that name. For me, it wasn't active enough. So that's why we titled them wellness innovators. We want them to implement evidence-based practices but we also want innovation, new innovation to happen in wellness within the units. We have a structured program for these people. They all go through a free one or two day, what we call health athlete program. That is an energy management course that we have partnered with uh, the Human Performance Institute on. HPI is the wellness company of J&J. So this is a course that focuses on raising um, energy levels across four dimensions. All our wellness innovators go through that course and um, they get a lot of benefit out of that. But in addition to that course, again, they have a formal structured program that they interact consistently with my wellness team. We do strategic planning with them. 
We help them implement wellness initiatives and evaluate their outcome. So that's one, just one of several things. We have fun competitions. We have dodgeball tournaments. We do dance with Zumba. Um, we do what's called amazing races, where faculty, staff, student teams get together and compete. We do uh, all types of online portal challenges. In our curriculum, we have started to deliver uh, my seven-session research-based cognitive behavior therapy program for our students. This is the first year that all medical students are required now. First year medical students, they have this seven session evidence-based program that we call MindStrong here at Ohio State. They have it embedded into one of their required courses. We do this in nursing. We now offer it as a one credit course to our students. That program through about 17 research studies has been shown to decrease depression, anxiety, stress, improve academic performance, and the latest group that we evaluated it with was new nurse residents. And what we found when new nurse residents went through this program, weekly sessions, eight of them, they had less stress, less depression, less anxiety, and higher job satisfaction up to six months following the program. Wow. So I could go on and on. Yeah. Talk about all the initiatives, but I'm going to stop there. Well, you know, Bern, I think what's so important about what you're doing is you're baking it in. And so often if it's an add-on and you already got a really heavy faculty load, student load, you know, it's it's more challenging, but you're actually baking it in and baking it into the culture. So I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, weaving it into the DNA, right? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. I have even allotted uh, two of my faculty, one at the graduate level, one at the baccalaureate uh, level, who I've appointed them as directors of academic wellness programming. Mm -hmm. So their role is to make sure we are integrating wellness throughout all our academic programs. Again, if you want this to happen, You've got to put resources into it. It's not going to happen if it's always add-on, add-on with no substance behind it. Yeah. What, what's your recruitment impact, Ben? Like, do students want to come there because of this wellness factor? Ah, oh, we are swamped with <laughs> applications, which is a good character builder to have, right? Yeah. Um, our college has grown when I first came here. 
eight years ago now. I can't believe it's been that long, but we were about 1,100 students and we surpassed 2,300 this year. Wow. Wow. And I think faculty come here Mm. because they know we invest in a wellness culture here. So I think we've really grown our visibility in wellness, in innovation, and it, you know, it's definitely an attraction for people because they want to live in a well wellness culture. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, you know, people all want it. They just aren't sure how to do it. And now you've done it. So that's awesome. <laughs> it is. It is awesome. I tell you. It, it's it's a pure blessing and a joy to be able to look at what we've accomplished um, with a lot of intense planned work. Right. You have to have an exciting vision. I, I think that's one thing sometimes leaders miss. They put a lot of time and energy into this detailed strategic plan. And don't get me wrong, we have one here. I just (laughs) went through a new five-year strategic planning wellness process. (laughs) So we've got a great, we've got a great strategic plan here, but we never forget how important it is to create an exciting team dream and a vision. And then you onboard people with that. Like I do a talk at every new faculty orientation for the university on our wellness philosophy, our culture. So people are hearing this the first week that they walk in our door. The College of Medicine has me in every semester to orient, be part of their orientation for new faculty. I'll be going to do a talk for them on the next next week. So again, you you set the expectation early, but we're going to support you and provide resources for you to do that. Yeah. Wow. Thanks so much, Bern. You, you're doing such amazing work there and having such incredible results. And I think, you know, for me, what's kind of struck me uh, as you've shared your journey with us and everything that you're doing has been, you know, the thing that stands out, which I've always believed in is culture, right? You, you have, it, when it's a part of the culture and it's who we are and how we are and, you know, how we behave, this is just how it is. It's not an option, right? It's not up for grabs. It's who we are. And I think you're demonstrating that loud and clear and obviously having great success and drawing people to you that want to live in that kind of culture. So I think that's one of my significant takeaways from today. Thank you. Yeah, you know, Bern, you and I have known each other for a long time. And of course, I knew you when you left Arizona and went to Ohio. And For me, what's exciting is to watch the transformation over time. And I think you are so right. It does not happen overnight. It happens with intention and in engaging others on your vision. And so it's been really pretty awesome to watch you the last eight years. Ah, It's been fun. You know, when you have fun 
with what you do, you never feel like you'll work a day in your life. And isn't that a blessing to be able to do that? But I also want to just share that, you know, there's always going to be resistors. When I was younger and much less wise, I spent way too much time and energy on the resistors. And as I became a more experienced leader, I mean, I'm a big vision person, and Michelle especially, you know me, I move very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so I've got to be careful that I don't get people into change fatigue because I'm always I'm always dreaming of the next dream <laughs> and get trying to get people fired up about that. But I want to get back to resistors. I I want people to not spend a lot of time on those people, but I want you, people to remember it's usually fear that is driving resistance. So I think if you are getting resistance, you know, sit down with those folks. Say, I see you're resisting this wonderful wellness movement. What are you afraid of? Talk to me about those concerns or fears. Sometimes that works. Other times it doesn't. And what you've got to focus, the people you've got to focus on are those people with a twinkle in their eye and a fire in their belly. Work with those innovators and early adopters first. Mm -hmm. Because you get those folks excited with the vision and you get them on board, the rest is going to come. Mm -hmm. But again, it takes patience and it takes culture change. And when you see the average length of time that people are in the C-suite nowadays, it's about three years. Oh, my gosh. You know, culture is not going to get changed in three years. No. So when a new person comes in, they have new visions, new priorities, you know, it's, it's constantly changing, but I, I just want to give a message. Don't give up when you, you know, keep digging, digging, digging. You don't see something coming of it. Keep going. Keep going mm -hmm. because you're just a little bit away. And success is going from one failure to the next with enthusiasm. Get excited. <laughs> be happy. <laughs> be happy. Just be Have happy. Fun. That's Get right. Get excited when yeah. you're confronted with resistors and skeptics. What I say to myself when people say, that'll never happen. Are you kidding me? I just smile and say to myself, I'm on the right track and I keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I, I, you know, we always, we believe there's wisdom and resistance. So it's always good to listen for any pearls of wisdom that you might be missing based on your own, you know, perspective. But yeah, you, you got to start with those that are ready to go, right? Or you'll never get any momentum. So right. great advice. Yeah. Very good advice. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. It's been an incredible time with you and we're just 
in awe of everything that you have achieved there and just grateful for what you're doing and how you're leading the way in healthcare. Yeah. Thank thank you you. so much, Bern. You're an inspiration. Well, the two of you are too, because you also have big dreams and you take risks to get to accomplish them. And I always have said, we have to, we have to teach people, we have to mentor them to dream big, to discover, which is all about taking risks and to deliver their dreams, to persist through the character builders until they're accomplished. And you all are model exemplars for that too. So thank you for all you've done to lead so many phenomenal efforts for the profession. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you, Vern. Have a great day. You too. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in today. If you found our conversation insightful or helpful, please share this episode with others you think might benefit. Also, go out to iTunes and rate the show and share a review because we really like those positive ones. Wink, wink. You can access today's show notes and downloads at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you want to learn more about polarities in healthcare or how you might manage them in your organization, you can contact us for a free consultation. Just go to our website at www.missinglogic.com.